Welcome back to another episode of the Rankable Podcast. My name is Gareth Sussman, Demand Generation Manager at Rank, and I am super excited. Today, I am joined by Lilia Baja. Uh, I totally butchered your name because I am American, and you're Nigerian, and you have a cool name, and I can't say it properly, but Lily is an amazing content strategist at Marketing Cyborg. She's been doing content strategy for a minute, writing for major brands like WordPress and HubSpot and Zapier. Uh basically focusing on brand generating more revenue with customer-specific content optimized for search. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lily. Thank you so much for having me. Oh man, we were we were just talking about all sorts of really interesting things today all around brand equity. I'm excited to dive in, but before we even do that, tell me a little bit how you got into content strategy in the first place. Um, how I got into content marketing, right? I started out as a blogger, you know, a mom blogger. <laughs> and I happened to put up a guest post on someone's site to promote, you know, to get backlinks and rank higher and promote my blog. And a lucky thing just kind of happened because it was my second guest post actually. And a SaaS company, like a very big SaaS company, they powered as a then between conversion rate optimization efforts of over 700,000 sites. And then they reached out and they were like, we wanted to hire me full time from the writing that I had done. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, you can actually make, make money doing this thing. And I had to, I got to try out a few, um, freelance articles for them because at the time I didn't want to work full time. I don't think I ever want to work time actually. <laughs> well, and I'm. Um, I realized that it was actually the kind of work that I loved. And that's kind of just, I found my way here. The rest is history. No, it's really cool because obviously you're an educator. For those of you who don't know, Lily has a YouTube channel where she teaches others about content as well, getting to write for these marketing blogs. And so today, I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea of brand equity in the SERPs. So, you know, you're working with your clients and you're producing this content, you know, based on the audience personas and the keywords that they're giving you. When you're looking at the SERPs, how do you think about earning brand equity? What What's your perspective? Well, I feel like brand equity is something that lots of people ignore, right? You may be a small site and you manage to show up in the fifth position on Google for a query, maybe a very long stale keyword, right? And then someone is searching and they scroll through all the other uh, pieces of content and they got to yours and somehow yours thoroughly satisfies their search intent, it gives them um, content that is deep and specific to their needs. And they bookmark your article, right? And maybe tomorrow they're searching and they see your brand come up third place, fourth place, even fifth place. They skip the other articles that they see and they click on yours immediately. That's what generates um, brand awareness, um, direct clicks, like someone has bookmarked you and they can come back to your article in the future. That's what generates site search, like on Google. I'm searching for a keyword and I only want to see results from this site. 
is because you've been able to deliver continuously deliver really good content. And that's that's just I feel like every brand should be investing in exceptional content, if not for anything, for the sake of brand equity, so that when someone sees you, they stop in their tracks and they click. I I love that kind of perspective because then it's like every single piece that you produce has to kind of blow away your audience because that first impression really matters. So like in that context, if you're on the SERPs, it, it makes me think that your title tags, like the titles they see, the meta descriptions are super important to get the user to click on it in the first place. So I imagine you invest a ton of time in, in your titles and your meta description. What's your approach when you're creating a piece of content? Like how, how what's your process look like for the titles and meta descriptions? I do. I, I do pay a lot of attention to titles and the descriptions because that's what they see first. And if they don't know you, that has to be very promising to get them to click in the first place, right? For me, it's usually two, two to three elements. The first is the keywords, because obviously you have to show up in the first place. And then the second is emotion. Like, what is that thing that the audience wants to achieve? Say... I'm a company who sells subscription, a subscription um, platform right now. And I'm trying to target the keyword subscription business models, right? Mm -hmm. So a more generic, boring title would be the full guide to subscription business models in 2023. What's the incentive to click, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I could turn it around and say subscription business models, how to create ones or how to sell once and end forever or something. Because like that is the motive, right? They want to, what is the motive behind the audience who you're targeting this post through? And then more recently, I've begun to move even further into specificity with the audience, like really calling out the audience that I want to read that piece. Because I feel like content should be for, you should either speak to me or don't speak to me. That's the way you get SEO content to convert, right? You don't need to speak to everyone. That's how I feel about it, right? And so recently I've started to do this, to inject this into the title tags as well. So um, product management, how to manage your projects better as a freelancer instead of project management or like, or how to manage your projects for everyone. So in that sense, it becomes tricky, right? Because the more generic it is, the higher the search volume, the more people it's going to get in front of. The more specific it is, you are going for those long tail keywords, but they might be more valuable because to your point, they're right in front of the person who wants to read it. How do you balance that in terms of working with clients and either educating them on, okay, you're not going to see as much traffic, but the traffic's better versus, okay, you're, you might just, you might win more eyeballs in front, like at a, you know, a head term with a ton of search volume, but like no one's going to buy from you. I think the balance comes with topic clusters. This is where topic clusters completely kill it. Like you get the both the more through and the tofu just by implementing the cluster. And like, I mean, if you're doing only long-term keywords and you're, you have no other 
place to generate traffic from. You're still losing out on like a bunch of benefits like brand awareness and all of that just by not showing up for those top of the funnel keywords. Even though I love, love to focus on the bottom of the funnel, right? We still build it out to Mofu and Tulsa. But like the education is, this is what is going to generate you money. This is what we use to balance it. So we're not only talking to people who, well, not only being there for people when we want to take their money, we're being there for them throughout the <laughs> throughout their journey. Yeah. So when you're creating these like audience specific pieces of content, I'd imagine, especially with Google, so focused on like the EEAT factors, right? The experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. How do you get experience and expertise woven throughout these pieces so the audience that you're targeting really knows that they're the focus? Well, the obvious one is quotes, and that's like what everyone does. They talk to an SME and they get quotes and they come in the, the um, article. But I think there's something that's even more powerful, right? Is examples. Examples that are specific to the personnel you're writing for. So if I'm writing about project management tools, whatever examples for, for say freelancers, right? Whatever examples, whatever scenarios I paint has to be something that a freelancer can relate to. I don't bring in um, an example of, yeah, I don't know if this is like a dumb thing to say, <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know if anyone actually does that, but like, I don't bring in an example of a law who's trying to manage at home into an article of where we're talking about freelancers. Right. Right on the top of my head, I can't find a very, a more specific way to put this, but this is a problem that I've seen a lot. And this is like, you know, being, being all over the place with your examples and the scenarios you're painting such that the person that you're trying to relate to can't actually see themselves in the story that you're telling. That's really interesting. It's, it's almost, it's like the reverse, right? It's like your topic and your audience is very specific, but your examples need to be general enough so they don't exclude anyone in that specific audience? Uh, not really. I, I think, um, yeah, I was saying that the examples need to be specific, right? Mm -hmm. Even though they are relatable to like everyone, but you're using, let me think of an example. Mm, I'm not very good at thinking on the spot. <laughs> That's okay. As a writer, you can always like do your first draft, just get it out. Then you go back and you edit it, you edit it, edit it until it's like perfect. No one actually knows, you know, the folks who spend all this time writing, how much goes into it because it looks so good at the end product. Yeah. But general idea is the example you're using has to be something that the audience personality you're going after can see themselves in. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. I'm, I'm with you on that. So one other thing that's come up that you and I were kind of talking about before this is obviously the hot topic for everyone right now is AI content, right? You've got these tools that help you generate this AI content. I got to ask, are you like threatened by it? Do you like these tools? Where do you stand on it? I actually love them. I feel a little um, concerned about chat GPT and not because I feel like it's going to replace content. And 
wondering if it's going to replace Google, like, you know, users using more yeah. and going to Google search. As far as quality content is concerned, AI is still like a very, very long way up. And that's because the thought processes that a writer, a really skilled writer has, AI is just not at that level yet. The expertise, AI is not at that level yet. Like AI cannot interview our um, experts. They cannot bring in our, uh... like, <laughs> I, I should probably mention this example. Like today I, I was using chat GPT and I gave it a prompt and was like, write out the section for me, explain the why and the how, just so it has that idea of the thought process. Like I'm literally feeding you, spoon feeding you. Um, use this and I give it a link and I say a URL and I say use this um, post as inspiration and God it churns out fallacies like <laughs> oh my god the things that it says is completely different from like I wish I could remember what it said but like it's it's just it was wrong crazy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> So what recommendation do you have for, for content writers? Do you think there are ways to use it appropriately? Or do you think, are you, do you have any concerns that it's going to have a negative impact on the internet and Google search in general? I, I do think it's a great tool for writers to use, especially with um, writer's block. I used to be someone who struggled in lots with writer's block, right? But now you're, you're stuck. You can just um, ask tool it brings out something even if it what it brings out is woefully wrong you can take that like you get angry and like this isn't right and you take it and you see your freedom just is coming back again right <laughs> and so it's like it's not very helpful tool for writers in my opinion my concern is with search are people gonna definitely the more informational topics as these tools get better, and as this until the stage three, like until they they um, start charging a fee for it, obviously, are people going to start searching for more informational stuff on AI instead of Google? Because when they do that, search optimization kind of changes. Mm. Brands That's need sad. to start optimizing to come up. And say someone asks um, an AI tool, what are the best cameras for a YouTube shoot? Brand's optimization strategy will now have to shift for from optimizing for search to optimizing to, and like, I don't know how they, they get the answers. So like we'll have to start going back to the drawing board and like really, it's just, it's crazy if that happens. And I don't think it happens, it will happen because AI is currently free and it will get paid. It's, it's very interesting to that point of like the direction it goes in, in that we're all going to have to know because there are going to be different models that are trained on different material, how you can ensure that your content is some of the material that these, these AI chatbots are trained on in the same way, I guess that, you know, like on TikTok is I've been reading more and more how people are using TikTok to do searches. Well, then your brand needs to be mentioned by people who content creators on TikTok, right? Like you need to find a way to get your content like 
into the audience or the training materials where these different platforms exist. So in that sense, how do you think brands can create like remarkable content that differentiates from all the AI content that's about to be produced and flood the internet? I think the first thing is turn knowing your audience. Like I said earlier that good content is polarizing. It's yeah. spoken to one person, an audience of one, like it's just for me and no one else, right? When content is that specific, what happens is that you have to have a strong, um, what's the word, line of thoughts to carry through, like a very strong opinion, right? Such that when someone reads, they can feel, feel something. Yeah. And for me, I think creating that comes down to four things. I actually have a framework in this. I call it the, what is it? Yeah. (laughs) Probably the, the Lima framework and it's logical. The L is for logical, E is for explicit. M is for liberable and A is for actionable. These are all fronts that AI is training at today. AI doesn't have the structure to, to follow a, a, an audience that readers um, logical thoughts. Like if I want to know something, what's the next question I have about this thing after you've answered the first question I have, it's just, I, I'm not a lawyer, but I want to say it's like arguing a case in court, right? The reader is unconsciously probing your logic each time you say something and AI isn't at a place yet. I mean, lots of writers are not at a place yet where they can understand this logic. Like if I say this, this is what the audience would ask next. This is what comes up next in the audience's mind. The other element is explicitness. (laughs) And this is something that AI cannot fake, right? If you're using examples that are very specific to the to, to, to the uh, situation you're using your own beta like if i wanted to say um what's an example if i wanted to say get on podcasts marketing podcast now this is what ai would say whereas being explicit in your content you don't leave it up to guessing like you say get on marketing podcast like or SEO podcast like rankable and so and so and so because that goes back to logic and then memorability is the part where you infuse it with stories that are relatable to your audience and analogies and can I tell you that AI sucks at creating analogies I have tried it for years from <laughs> From death part to copy AI. I mean, I found an analogy creator tool on copy AI. I hope Chris doesn't hear this. And, <laughs> and the first day of Friday, I don't know what happened, but the first day I tried it, it was really good. Like it gave me a very good analogy. And I was like, oh my God, this is a game changer for my writing. And then I tried the second time and it's what? What? And the third time and the fourth time and the sixth time. <laughs> and, but like analogies are things that help your audience be able to relate to what you're saying by thinking about something else that they're already familiar with, analogies and metaphors, right? Yeah. And then the stories that you infuse in it, all these things make it memorable. 
I can remember it because it made me feel something. I can remember it because I have something to remember it by. There was there was this story that they said. It's like me talking about how I wanted to to be a blogger because of my baby. People remember the podcast and they're like, it was really said she wanted to be a blogger because of her baby, right? It just makes it more memorable. And then the final key is actionability because everyone reads content because they want to take action. They want to do something. There's something that needs to be solved. Right now, AI content is at a zero as long as actionability is concerned. It just tells you do this and do this and do this. How the hell do I do it, right? <laughs> if, you <laughs> if you tell me to do something, I want to see how. Show me how. Get into the tool and show me how. Show me where I need to pick. Exactly. Show me what I need to have to do this. AI is not at that place yet. No way. How brands can separate themselves. Oh, man, that, that framework makes so much sense to me. Like each step from like the logical, explicit, memorable, actionable, like especially the memorable really resonates with me, like the whole idea of the analogies. And it makes sense that AI wouldn't be able to do that yet because it's not like AI understands what it's producing. It's just kind of predicting what the next word is going to be based on what it's trained on. Is there anywhere, have you read up about about your framework that, that anyone can find that? Yeah, I have it on, um, I have the beginning of it. I'm supposed to release the next uh, part, the actionability part of it. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, You'll have to let us know so we can include the link in the show notes so people can find it and read about it um, after they listen to this episode. But, oh man, look, this is this is really cool stuff. I, I love the direction that the conversation went in, but I'm ready to ask you some rapid fire rankings. Are you ready for that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. We'll turn on the music and do the time, and we are going to do some rapid fire ranking. And so, first off, Lily, rank your top three of something, absolutely anything that you love. Um, I love nature. I love I love being in sand and grass and water. I love notebooks because, like, I'm crazy about writing all the time. And um, a fate, you've got passion. You could make me sell my soul for you, the profane. Ah, preach it. I, 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 I love it as well. It's like in my whole, like, Twitter persona. Rank, rank your best SEO or marketing win. Um, so this is a small win. It happened recently is we had, the client had very limited budgets for a keyword that had to delete, um, data, right? And everything that was ranking was original reports, original research. And these were sites like Conferry and government sites. And we had like half the BA of the sites, right? And I'm like, we can't actually compete right now with the blog post. We need a report. And they're like, we don't actually have the budget for a report right now. And so I go and I I take the data from all of the sites that I rank in and I aggregate them and I try my best to give them insights that are memorable. Right. <laughs> like some of the stats I try to use um 
there's a specific one I remember. It said something about 80 something million shots, shot page or something. And I'm like, that is about the size of the Turkish population or something. Just something that people could relate to, right? And I infuse it with images also because graphs. Because if someone's looking for stats, they just want to see the, those visuals. And a week later, a month later, sorry, the article haven't crossed the second page. <laughs> but those images were like they took over the complete, the entire graph. And three months later, that article is at number two. Like contrary and government sites and everything. And it was a very good experiment and I'm really proud of it. <laughs> That's amazing. The image SEO is what's up. Um, okay, so rank your three, top three SEO tools. Um, I really love keywords everywhere just because it's convenient to you as I browse every day. I love SEMrush. I could swap for RS sometimes and I do swap for RS sometimes because I prefer the um, being backlink analytics tool of RFs, but I prefer the keyword research tool so much. I feel like it's more accurate. I love using Google Trends just to make sure that the keyword I'm trying to target actually has a future, right? Another alternative would be blimps and exploding topics. Right. Like, like, uh, trends like AI content. Speaking of anyway, uh, rank your best SEO trick or tactic. Well. I have a higher pride with you, but um, here's what I don't use anymore. And, but if, if you want traffic fast, like you want traffic really fast, the best way to get it is to steal it from sites in the industry that have a skewed traffic graph, like sites that have the majority of their traffic come from one or two blog posts. And they're like really young. The sites are like really young, but they're ranking and they're pulling in a lot of traffic for one or two articles. You know that you can totally smash that. Yeah, I got you. Okay, Ray, rank what you love most about SEO. I love that SEO compounds. You know, we do something today and. It's why I also, I also love YouTube. I don't have an Instagram account. I don't have a TikTok account. I, I might have a TikTok account because I feel like it has the same searching mm -hmm. potential, right? But it compounds, like you build something. You don't have to be on your tools all of the time. Like you can build and rest. You can sprint when you have the energy and then you rest and not worry that everything's going to come crashing down. <laughs> I love, I love that, especially evergreen content is just there for a while. Okay, Ray, your, what is your best learning SEO resource? Where do you learn SEO? I have a lot of places, like really big mentions, brand converts, your site. But I feel like the best resource any SEO could have is their own site, where you get to test things, where you get to break things without fear. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You got to experiment with your own stuff and, and that's where you learn the most. Uh, rank the top. Okay. This is probably the hardest question, but rank the top one to three SEOs or marketers that you most look up to. This, this oh my gosh, this, this one is really tough, but I'm, I'm going to say April Dunsford just because, and I hope I'm saying the name right, both because 
she completely owns our industry. Our, I'm not sure what the word is, but like when you think of positioning, you think of April. And that is just, that's an example of what brands should aspire to. I love Rand Fishkin for how he's transitioned from um, building up moors to spark to like the opportunities he sees in this space and goes out there and creates something useful for the community. It's really admirable. I love it. Um, Alida because of her impact. Like she's really brilliant, of course. But then she's also giving back to the community. I don't think I've met anyone who gives back to the community as much as the lady does. And uh, this was a tough call, but can I can I shoot one more person? I really love both more because it's not a Caitlin Booger, and I'm not sure what the pronunciation is, but the reason why I love Power Work is again, I'm someone who's really, really customer focused. And Caitlin is all about discovering who your ideal customer is and like what really scratches their each and all of that stuff. And I feel like for SEO to be successful, you need to really, really know the your ideal customer. I, I can tell like with all the, all those people are incredible with Caitlin. Dan, she's a great follow on Twitter. She does a lot of that interesting psychology, customer psychology mm -hmm. stuff. Finally, rank your number one cause or charity that you want to promote. Um, this one after the, the FCBC, that is, um, the freelance coalition for developing countries. It's my friend, Chima Major is the founder and she's an incredible woman who is building something that freelancers from marketers from developing country and also the, the entire marketing world needs because diversity is a very, very, I think the word is potent, like it's very, very important. You can't sell to people if you don't really know them. And then having all these diverse um, ideas and thoughts makes it possible to be able to reach everybody as a brand. And this is what Chima is bringing, just you know, helping people um, on their privileged backgrounds upskill and not just upskill, like she's supporting them. And I think the last cohort, um, tech SEO cohort, she ran with Aleda Solis. All the tech SEO um, students got into um, internships with like really cool brands. That's that is something we need to see more of. It's 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 an it's such an important and incredible organization. I mean, she walks the walk. Respect the heck out of uh, Chima. Our own uh, founder Mike King had given a speech at one of the FTCD uh, presentations and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just I just appreciate her. She's fantastic. I actually had her both on this podcast as well as a, uh, another podcast I had like three years ago when she was really like kind of establishing her presence in our community. And between her and Aleda have just been such an important presence. And I think the other big thing is representation, right? Like with Shima and with all these these folks that just when you have people who are successful, you can say, oh, I can do that. I can be that which is 100%. Lily, this has been such a pleasure. I'm so glad that we've had this conversation. If someone wants to find you online or hire you, what's the, what's the best way to get in touch? Um, 
they can visit my website, lillywider.com and just to stay um, on top of content marketing and all that stuff, you can sign up to my newsletter at marketingsidebook.com. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much for being my guest. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> Absolutely. My name is Garrett Sussman of Rank. This has been another episode of the Rankable Podcast. We will catch you next week. Bye-bye. I'm going to